Welcome to the Global Regulatory Update, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of International Finance, where we discuss regulatory developments across the financial services sector. My name is Melanie Eidler, and I'm an Associate Policy Advisor at the IAF. I'm pleased to be joined by Shiguru Arazumi, the new Chair of the Executive Committee of the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, or IAIS. Shiguru, who is also Vice Minister for International Affairs at the Financial Services Agency of Japan, formally succeeded Vicky Saporta as ex-co-chair during the IS's annual conference in Tokyo this past November. I'm very much looking forward to hearing from Shiguru about some of the takeaways from the annual conference, as well as what is in store for the year ahead. Let me start by welcoming you, Arizumi-san, to the GRU podcast and congratulating you on your appointment as IAS chair, as well as for having hosted a very successful annual conference in your home jurisdiction of Japan. Thank you very much, Molly, for your kind introduction. And my name is Shigeru Arizumi, as introduced, and I'm very happy to join this podcast session. And thanks for the IAF for arranging this. Great to have you. In a way, you're joining as ex-co-chair during a very momentous year, as after nearly a decade, the Insurance Capital Standard, or ICS, will be finalized by year-end 2024. So I'd like to kick off by asking you what benefits you envision from the introduction of the ICS as a global capital standard for internationally active insurance groups. Yes, thank you, Melanie. And at the heart of everything we do as a global standard setter, our focus is supporting development and maintenance of the fair and safe, stable insurance markets for the benefit and protection of policyholders and to contribute to global financial stability. We have already developed the qualitative element of the common framework for supervision of internationally active insurance groups, or we call it the CONFRAME, and we are now focused on the steps to finalize and then assess implementation of the quantitative element, namely uh, the ICS. So CONFRAME will then provide a complete framework that establishes supervisory standards focusing on the effective group-wide supervision of IAIGs. The ICS does this by providing a comparable solvency measure across jurisdictions and promoting sound risk management, minimizing up inappropriate procyclical behavior while balancing risk sensitivity and simplicity. And we have designed the ICS so it will provide a consolidated minimum group-wide standard for IAIGs, allowing for a globally comparable risk-based measure of capital adequacy. In setting a global minimum solvency standard, the IECS has the potential to harmonize practices and to reduce costs. So that is the significance of our journey to uh, finalize the ICS. That's really great. And, you know, harmonizing standards and reducing costs is obviously of interest to our insurance members. I'm curious, since the ICS was first developed, the economic landscape has shifted considerably. We know the IS is in the midst of producing its economic impact assessment of the ICS. Can you tell us a little bit about how the IAS is considering both the macroeconomic environment and results from the economic impact assessment in the final standard? I think when we look to finalize the ICS, it is extremely important that we have sufficient understanding of the potential economic effects of it. So we have collected input from a wide range of stakeholders as part of the ICS consultation. And additional stakeholder sessions have also been organized for more spontaneous uh, input. The outcomes of this assessment will be considered as part of the process of finalizing the design of the ICS 
and it will also help in refining the implementation process of the ICES as a prescribed capital requirement. Different jurisdictions are starting from very different baselines when it comes to implementing an insurance capital standard. Can you tell us how the IAS is assisting supervisors as they transition to the ICS within their jurisdictions? How will regional variation in ICS implementation affect the IAS's monitoring efforts? First of all, I think everybody is quite aware that ICS is a long-standing and well-known project. The standard has been in the making for the last 10 years with six field test exercises and four years of confidential reporting. So the insurance supervisors and the IAIGs across the globe are very familiar with this prudential framework. Based on the input we have received through the public consultation, the economic impact assessment, which I just mentioned, and the perspectives from our members, the IAIs will consider transitional arrangements that may help jurisdictions with implementation of the ICS as a prescribed capital requirement following the end of the monitoring period. For example, it is quite common to allow for gradual phase-in of new sort of requirements, depending on the extent of the system changes that may be expected of impacted insurance groups. We set out the details on the transitionals in the consultation we have published in June, and we will provide more details on the implementation timelines during the course of 2024. The consultation feedback and the results of the economic impact assessment will be a key input to these decisions. There will be a structured and robust approach to assess implementation of the ICS across jurisdictions. Regional variations are possible as long as domestic implementation meets at least the minimum requirements set out in the standards. The exact timing of the implementation assessment has not been determined since transitional periods of implementations are common where requisite laws and or regulations are necessary to be adopted by relevant jurisdictions. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye out uh, with great interest on those transitional arrangements over the coming year. I'd like to turn to the topic of climate risk. We're recording this discussion shortly after COP28 has concluded. We expect that climate risk will only continue to increase in importance for the IAS over the coming year. Here at the IAF, we greatly appreciate the work of the IAS's Climate Risk Steering Group and look forward to responding to the IAS's recent consultations on climate scenario analysis and climate risk market conduct issues. Can you tell us how the IAS is considering the impact of real economy and political decisions affecting the rate of transition with what's feasible with respect to insurers' response to climate change? Will the focus remain on scenario analysis and metrics given the significant data challenges and dependencies on third-party actions or conversely inaction? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Melanie, for that. As we all know, the average global temperatures continue to rise and we don't know when certain tipping points will be reached. But we do know as supervisors that we need to stand ready to address the consequences for insurance financial stability and for policyholder outcomes. As a result, climate change is a strategic theme for the IAS because it is essential that supervisors and insurers understand the impact it will have on our ability to protect policyholders and to maintain financial stability. Scenario analysis that you mentioned is just one part of our work in this area. 
And following the, an earlier gap analysis, the IAAS is making small updates to certain insurance core principle, or what we call the ICP, the ICP guidance, and developing further supporting material to make it more explicit that insurance supervisors should require insurers to incorporate climate-related risks into their governance and operations. The IAS has already run, launched two uh, consultations this year and will launch at least one further additional consultation next year. We are, of course, keen to receive feedback from stakeholders on our open climate uh, consultation. As part of the climate scenario work, the IAIS will continue to develop and share practical capacity building materials for insurance supervisors. The IAIS will also continue to refine the data collection on climate-related risks in the annual global monitoring exercise and explore introducing additional indicators to capture climate-related risks. The climate chapter in our global, monitor, uh, global insurance market report published in December assesses the climate risks in the insurance sector is exposed to. Part of our strategy is to maintain a strong track record of collaboration and cooperation with other standards setting bodies to ensure that agendas are aligned. An important partner is, of course, the FSB, and we will continue to bring the insurance sector supervisor's perspective to their climate-related work. And following the publication of the standards on climate disclosure by the ISSB, we are considering what further work we can do in disclosures and regulatory reporting to embed adequate climate disclosures in the insurance sector. We have recently set up a work stream to consider these issues in more detail. Looking ahead, the IAS is currently developing its strategic plan and financial outlook for 2025 to 2029. And as part of this exercise, we'll consider its future strategic objectives related to climate risks. We're very interested to hear about, you know, some of those strategic objectives and particularly the work that you're doing in addressing NATCAP protection gaps, an issue that you worked on closely in your role as chair of the Protection Gap Task Force at the IAAS. What are your views on strategies that can help address the gaps caused by climate risks that may not be fully insurable? And what is the role of insurers in helping address uninsurable protection gaps? Are there any specific use cases or innovative approaches you can speak to that have been particularly successful? Thank you very much. And I think it's a very important work. The report we uh, published in November builds on the premise that insurance can provide important financial protection against damage to and loss of physical assets, as well as indirect and economic losses and aids in recovering reconstruction after natural disasters. However, there are challenges that can affect this supply and demand for insurance. Moreover, some protection gaps cannot be solved by increasing insurance coverage alone or by relying on the government uh, backstops. Addressing the protection gaps rather requires shared effort uh, among public and private sectors to increase resilience. There's an increasing acceptance among insurance supervisors that protection gaps can have implications that span core supervisory functions. The intention of the report, therefore, was to highlight the important role that insurance supervisors can play in help addressing NACAC protection gaps, 
drawing on examples from the IAIS uh, broad memberships. Supervisors can play a role in incentivizing risk prevention and reduction of insurance losses. For example, adaptation and risk mitigation measures can help reduce policyholders' physical risk exposure to NETCAP events. In this regard, supervisors can play a role in socializing useful and reliable sources of information on NACAP events or tools or portals to help consumers assess their risks. For some supervisors, there may even be a role in publishing information, such as flood maps, which can foster better decision-making by governments, as well as business and individuals. Another key area for supervisory action is advice to government as well as industry. Supervisors can act as a bridge between government and industry, leveraging their established links with insurers and understanding of the insurance sector to enhance coordination of government-wide response. Examples relevant to your questions, for example, could include informing policymakers on areas where insurance is unaffordable because of the level of risks, or limited financial capacity of consumers to help guide effective interventions in risk reduction or financial inclusion. One such risk reduction measure could be to consider drivers behind construction development in uh, high-risk areas. Of course, insurers have an essential role to play in helping reduce protection gaps. The response here can include cooperating with supervisors and policymakers to find solutions to address protection gaps. This could include partnering through expanding distribution channels and fostering development of innovative uh, insurance products. Another response could be communicating effectively with policyholders on the steps they can take to ensure continued affordable cover. For instance, the preventive steps, which I have mentioned, that can be taken to reduce their exposure. A third example could be exploring uh, public-private partnerships that can harness the skills and expertise in risk management that insurers can bring to address these issues. Thank you, Shigeru. Yes, we definitely you know, take note of uh, the need for public-private partnerships in this area and uh, kind of a whole of government approach to tackling climate risk. I just wanted to move to uh, some of the macroprudential issues that we're seeing particularly along lines of uh, cross-sectoral exposures and interdependencies between insurance and uh, the banking sector. Does the IAS agree with the recent analysis by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and NYU that challenges the claim that non-bank financial intermediaries are bank substitutes and argues instead that banks and MBFIs have a symbiotic relationship with interwoven risks that need to be considered holistically? As insurance supervisors, we at the IAS have always been very clear on the differences between the various sectors of the financial system. In turn, we conduct our own analysis and develop policy based on the recognition of these differences, which take appropriate account of the specificities of the insurance sectors. One aspect here is the fact that we need to acknowledge that the insurance sector has its own regulation and it is not an unregulated part of the financial sector. It is not operating in the the shadows in that regard. Of course, we are also members of uh, cross-sectoral policy-making bodies, 
For example, in the international level, that will be the uh, FSB. And it is important that in these fora, we continue to focus on specificities uh, of the insurance sector analysis and make sure our policy takes due account of the structure of the insurance industry. Equally, it's increasingly clear that the different parts of the financial system are highly interconnected, as you mentioned. This triggers spillovers between the different parts of the financial system. So we need to recognize that these risks, where they emerge and how they impact the different parts of the financial system. This is also true for the insurance sector as well. When is risks generated or amplified by insurers? And how are insurers uh, impacted by risks generated elsewhere? For instance, we have seen how the growth in uh, private uh, credit markets is having an impact in the financial system. Equally, we have seen increased uh, liquidity risks across the financial uh, system. And we need to understand what risks this poses for insurers. I want to stress here the importance of the IAIS global monitoring exercise, which I briefly mentioned. Uh, We call it the GME. The GME, uh, in which close to 60 of the largest insurance groups participate, in addition to the data we receive from our IAS member supervisors, provide us with a robust, data-driven view of the insurance uh, sector. This allows the IAS to plug our analysis into the cross-sectoral perspective and helps us uh, demonstrate how insurers are actually different uh, to other sectors. For example, in terms of balance sheet structures, materiality of uh, exposures, and differences in types of risks and hence risk management. Thank you, Shiguru. I think noting the differences between the various financial services industries, um, you know, between banks and insurers is is definitely uh, very important uh, to us here at the IAF. I wanted to ask about the recent notes from the Financial Stability Board, or FSB, plenary noted work on insurance recovery and resolution. How are the IAS and FSB working together on insurance issues, including those related to recovery and resolution? Okay, thanks. Uh, That's a very um, good question. As a member of the FSB, we provide a clear perspective on insurance supervision. The IAS is an active member of the FSB's resolution steering group, helping to shape the discussion on these issues. The IAS uh, reports annually to the FSB on key outcomes of our holistic framework for systemic risk and insurance. This includes information on both our implementation assessment and risk assessment uh, activities. This provides the FSB with the implementation status of the holistic framework supervisory uh, material, both at the jurisdictional level and at an individual insurer level. Next year, the IAS and the FSB will be working closely together to improve the transparency of reporting on insurers subject to recovery and resolution requirements, while clearly communicating that this does not equate to a list of insurers that are potentially systemic, as supervisors may require recovery and resolution plans to be in place for a variety of reasons, including concerns about critical functions. I think that note that requiring resolution, ensure resolution planning does not equate to uh, systemic risk is is a very uh, interesting one. Moving to 
some of the private equity issues that that have come up in the news and you know some in bias's work what are your views on the evolving role of private equity in the insurance market and what potential benefits or challenges do you see arising from increased pe involvement how can supervisory frameworks adapt to ensure a balance between market dynamism and ensuring that prudential and supervisory concerns are addressed? Yes, thank you for that question. I'd encourage your listeners to read the Global Insurance Market Report, or what we call GMAR. We have published this in December as the report looks at the changes that have been happening in the life insurance sector in some detail. And there are two relevant trends here. Firstly, the shift to alternative investment is material for some life uh, insurers. Alternative investments are associated with higher liquidity risks and complexity in terms of risk assessment and valuation. And these trends are, of course, understandable in the search for yield we have seen in the last few years. However, as uh, the monetary policy environment changes, new risks will emerge. Although insurance often engage in a buy and hold asset management strategy, the necessity to liquidate alternative assets in high stress scenarios marked by poor or non-existent liquidity could pose challenges and therefore warrant sound risk management. Considering the opacity of certain alternative assets, such as private placements and structured products, IAS members underscored the importance of adequate understanding of these investments and risk management at the insurer level, along with ensuring that investment portfolio characteristics are appropriate given the liquidity profile of uh, insurer liabilities. This will necessitate a real focus on the effective valuation techniques, rigorous credit analysis, and robust liquidity management. This trend will continue to be monitored by supervisors domestically, as well as by the IIS and next year's GMA. To enhance cross-jurisdictional comparability of this monitoring, a principle-based definition of alternative assets will be developed for the purpose of the GME, with a focus on the underlying risks. Secondly, the use of asset-intensive reinsurance that is a reinsurance whereby a material part of the investment risk is also transferred to the reinsurer. This is increasingly observed, notably for long-tailed life insurance liabilities. Reinsurers take on this asset-intensive reinsurance are concentrated in only a few jurisdictions, which has raised concerns about whether this could be associated with potential regulatory arbitrage in terms of valuation, reserving, or capital requirements. Supervisory issues around these reinsurance transactions also relate to having clarity on who retains the asset ownership, who manages the assets, and which jurisdiction has supervisory authority over these assets. The importance of gaining a deeper understanding of how these assets are valued and how such valuations are influenced by diverse market conditions, ownership structure, and governance is highlighted in the GMAR. The IAIS will continue to monitor the asset-intensive reinsurance trend next year, including through additional data sources. The IAIS will also assess 
with their additional guidance on the application of ICP-13, which is on reinsurance and other forms of risk transfer, whether this would be helpful to supervisors. And we'll certainly link to this year's DMAR report in the show notes. So thank you for, for referencing that. And we'll look forward to next year's DMAR as well. One issue that has been coming up repeatedly over the, the course of the last year is uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm just curious to hear what work is underway by the IAS for developing guidance on how supervisors can balance the benefits and risks of AI. What key considerations and safeguards do you think should be in place to ensure responsible and ethical use of AI? Well, the potential benefits from uh, using AI for both the consumer and the insurer are well known, including speedier claims processing, cost reduction, more personalized products. Our work naturally focuses more on the possible risks, both in terms of presential and market uh, conduct risks. We have now completed a thematic review to take stock of existing and emerging good practices from current supervisory expectations uh, introduced across jurisdictions, particularly in the area of model risk management. We also held a successful webinar on AI organized by AOPA, IAS, and the Financial Stability Institute to facilitate sharing of experience in this area. We will use these insights to assess the need for the IAS to develop further guidance at the global level. We published a short summary of this work on our website in December, and we will be developing an application paper on the topic during the course of uh, 2024. We will, of course, ensure that we engage with stakeholders during the development of the application paper. And the IAF is greatly looking forward to that application paper and forthcoming stakeholder sessions. Last year's DMAR had a special focus on cyber risks in the insurance sector from both an operational and underwriting perspective. What future work is planned on the topic of cyber risk and cyber risk underwriting? And how is IAS coordinating with supervisors and other standard setters on this important topic? Thank you, Manali. You have seen that we have published our GMAR uh, special topic on cyber in April and an issues paper on insurance sector operational resilience in May 2023. In our GMAR special topic, we clearly outlined that uh, cyber underwriting activities of insurers in the sample are not assessed to pose a threat to financial stability due to the currently limited volumes of affirmative uh, cyber insurance underwriting. However, significant data gaps remain engaging the systemic risk posed by non-affirmative coverage. We will continue to monitor these developments as this is a rapidly evolving issue. The issues paper, on the other hand, sets out key issues and supervisory perspectives in respect to cyber resilience, IT third-party outsourcing, and business continuity planning, as well as the interconnectedness of these issues. Pursuant to the comments received uh, via the issues paper's public consultation phase, that emphasize the importance of cross-sector cooperation in this area. Cross-sector work led by the FSB is ongoing on cyber incident reporting and third-party outsourcing. The IAS is well represented on these initiatives. Moving to the future outlook of the IAS's strategic work plan and roadmap for the year ahead, you and your predecessor, Vicky Supporta, discussed the handoff in leadership during the annual conference. How has the transition been so far, and how do you anticipate the IS's priorities to develop during your tenure as chair? 
Thank you, Melanie. And I very much look forward to leading the organization at this very important juncture. But、uh, first of all, I'd like to note the significant contribution that Vicky made to driving forward the IAI's work as the chair of the executive committee for eight years. As vice chair, I saw her commitment to fostering cooperation and collaboration across、uh, the supervisory. Uh, community, because we are a membership body and agree our work plan collectively, I expect significant continuity on the issues on which we work. Our priorities will be set out in our five-year strategic plan, which the EXCO has been working on during the course of this year, and will be finalized and published later next year. Uh, of course, there will be significant、uh, continuity, but、uh, we need to be Looking very carefully at for a rapid developing environment to、uh, adapt ourselves as supervisors and regulators moving forward. One last question to close on: Can you give us a sneak peek of what we can expect from the new five-year plan, or perhaps what lies ahead for the coming year? That's a very good question. The IAS has undertaken a lot of work over the last five years to significantly、uh, improve our. Ability to monitor global risks in the insurance sector, and have finalised a significant body of standard setting. As we look towards our next strategic planning period, it is only natural that we will lust、uh, shift our focus on implementation and capacity building. We expect a period of relative stability in our standard setting. While continuing to refine and update our standards as necessary, based on our assessment of vulnerabilities and feedback from our implementation、uh, assessment work, engagement to date indicates that members and stakeholders feel the current core functions, what we call the high-level goals of the IAIS, remain fit for purpose. Although the way we arrange ourselves and priorities with, within these functions may change in the coming period. We have received very helpful feedback from stakeholders at the two roundtables we held on the strategic plan at our annual conference in Tokyo. But of course, I think it is quite important moving forward that we remain committed to monitor the global developments in a holistic manner to ensure that we can protect financial stability. And to protect the, the policyholders, we also need to look very carefully in some of the issues that、uh, I have mentioned,、uh, including such issues as climate as well as financial innovations, to be able to be agile in our responses in、uh, any development、uh, in the future. We also look forward to strengthening our engagement uh, with uh, stakeholders, including the IIF, and we very much welcome any inputs uh, from the uh, industry because、uh, we need to work together, sharing the same、uh, sort of common objective to protect the policyholders and to maintain financial stability. So let me stop here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shiguru. And、uh, here at on the IAF,、uh, we also greatly look forward to opportunities to collaborate with you under under your leadership. So thank you so much, and we'll have some closing comments. But just to briefly say, you know, we greatly appreciate your time and taking this opportunity to to give us a preview of what lies ahead under your chairmanship of the IAF. 
So thank you. Thank you again for joining us at this time. And congratulations again on the appointment. Thank you.